Welcome to The Squeeze, your home for baseball content from opening day to the final out of the World Series. Hosted by Logan Lockhart and Tyler Milliken. Brought to you by Primetime Sports Talk. Yes, that's right. It's The Squeeze. My name is Logan Lockhart. That sitting right across from me is Tyler Milliken. This is presented by Primetime Sports Talk. It's going to be a weekly show we're very excited i want i don't want to speak on behalf of you tyler but i know you're excited baseball fix every week for the people the listeners the viewers of primetime sports stuff exactly every saturday we're going to be coming with different stuff whether you know some interviews mixed in kind of talking what's happened each week of the season and you know it feels good we got 162 games this year you know we're not back to the 60 game madness and all the craziness we got some fans in the stands I'm looking forward to a somewhat normal baseball season. I still think we're going to have a lot of the weirdness as we'll get into it. But for the most part, this is the closest thing we've had to, you know, actual traditional baseball since uh, 2019. So I'll take it. I, I feel relatively normal watching these games. I got to say, and the more I watch games, and this was a real fun weekend, first series, real fun. The more I watched it, and I, I bet you the more I'm going to watch as we move on here, the more I want to forget about 2020. The no fans and no this. It was just, you know what? It's kind of sad, honestly. And I'm happy that we are where we are. I'm a thousand percent with you. I don't, watching the postseason, I think we got the first taste of it once fans started to get introduced. I just looked back and I was watching some clips of just some, you know, Red Sox and different highlights from the 2020 season. And the fan noise that was playing was truly white noise. Like, it sounds so awkward after, like, just listening to fans being back in the stadium and everything like that. It feels it, – it just doesn't feel natural. And, you know, during last season, I kind of sat there, and you heard some players just be like, no matter what, it just doesn't feel right to me. I get it now. Like, I feel like I can truly kind of match that up. Because just having, you know, you know, someone who's watched a lot of Red Sox games over the last couple of days, you know, they got 4,000-ish fans in the stadium. It makes a world difference. Um, just from the player's perspective, the energy you're seeing on the field and different stuff like that. So uh, I hope, you know, let's hope fans stay in the stadiums for the rest of the year. It looks like a lot of places are handling things differently, obviously, depending on state guidelines, but it makes a world difference. There's been so many players starting in spring training who have said, can't wait for the fans. Number one thing we're looking most forward to. And we have to remember a lot of these guys, they played in front of people since high school, since Little League. It's never been empty. Never. And here we are, the 2020 season, it was empty. There was nobody there. It does make a world of difference. Like you said, I got to tell you, though, there's one thing that needs to get back where, for me, I'm fully normal. And that's having the broadcasters in the booth at the game in person. I know a lot of the home team broadcasts are there, but the away team broadcasts, I'm not sure how some of them are doing it. Some of them might be doing it differently. But it does make a big difference. For example, you see Joe Madden in the Angels last night doing double switches. There's some confusion in the booth. What's he doing here? Um, now, they handled it pretty well. I can tell you on the Blue Jays broadcast, there was some confusion. Okay, what did Montoyo just do? Defensive replacement, this, that. They need to be there in person once that happens. And they're doing a great job, everyone. But once that happens, then for me, I feel normal completely. 
No, a hundred thousand percent. That just the smoothness of it. You know what I mean? And you could hear it. And during spring training, it was miserable at times because, especially, you know, you get to the fifth, sixth inning, and you got you know four or five defensive replacements in an inning. You had the weird, wacky rules of spring training where you know pitchers were being pulled, coming back in. Um, you know, you had some guys who came out of the field but were still batting in the lineup. It was so awkward and trying to, you know, especially if you're not a fan of a team or you don't watch a team religiously and you see they're kind of putting in double A AA and triple A guys, they weren't, they didn't even know the names. And sometimes they never figured out the names of certain players. They just, well, yeah, you know, number 32, number 44. And it's like, you know, it's tough. It's just part of what it is right now. But having that ability back where, you know, broadcasters are on the same page, players are on the same page, everybody's on the same page. That's, you know, I feel like the last step we're really missing. But I think by the end of the season, that last step will be there. It's just kind of where we're at right now. It is kind of the last step, right? No, we're hoping playoff time, everyone's there. They were there, you know, Fox was there for the World Series. But we're hoping that it becomes a normal thing where everyone's back in the booth. Now, last season, we did see some rule changes. The Universal DH did not carry over. We know that. Expanded postseason did not carry over. The extra inning rule did carry over. This threw me completely off guard. I'm watching opening day, Yankee Stadium, and a fantastic ball game, and I thought this ruined the rhythm of it. It completely went over my head. I got to be honest with you. I didn't even realize that we're back to this extra inning rule. I thought this was a 60-game thing. No, no. Here we are. 162 season extra inning rule. Do you like the extra inning rule? I'll give you my thoughts. We might have a disagreement here. Do you like it? Personally, I, I don't have a problem against it. It's never bothered me. My issue is with the inability of Major League Baseball and the players to be on the same page in terms of these rule changes. Whether you want to look at the universal DH and how that played out with what happened to Zach Gallen a few weeks ago, a uh, guy ends up fracturing, you know, hairline fracturing his forearm. But, you know, one of the best young pitchers in baseball. And now, you know, we're hoping to see him at the end of April, best case scenario. The fact that all this is coming down to negotiating tactics and they're not putting the best product forward, that's my problem. You know, with the extra inning rule within itself, I put out a piece, I want to say about a year ago now, where I had talked about it. And I did believe there was an issue where due to pace of play and games being long, um, you know, getting past three hours, you get in that four hour mark as games kind of carried, it, it creates a tough scenario for young fans. And I, I've been really kind of cautious with that. I want to be able to bring those younger people into the game because while it's great that me and you love baseball, I think we're definitely in the minority of a lot of people, you know, our age being into that sport. Um, while I definitely think there's certain things. So personally, I think it should be pushed a couple innings back before you put a runner on second. Um, but I'd wholeheartedly agree with you. It completely ruined the flow of that Yankees blue Jays game. It did. It threw me off guard. And it just left a bad taste in my mouth. I got to be honest with you. And by the way, has there ever been a Yankees-Red Sox game that hasn't been over three hours? Because I feel like every time those teams play, we're sometimes pushing five hours of those two. Aren't <laughs> and, and you're happy. You know, you're happy to finish yeah. up at four hours sometimes. You know what I mean with those games? And I, I think that's a huge part of the problems baseball's at right now, where realistically you can't ask to survive with a four hour game. You see even the NBA is going through it right now, uh, how bad their regular season ratings have been. And, you know, you watch the last four minutes of an NBA game. It's brutal. It's as bad as it gets. Um, and even the NFL had some issues with that this past year, where it felt like those games just really dragged at the end. Um, but for baseball, unfortunately, that dragging sometimes feels like it goes over the course of three to four hours uh, instead of, you know, two or three minutes at the end of a game in terms of regulation time. Um, but, yeah, with the extra inning rule, 
I, I think it needs to be adjusted. I don't think it's a perfect science yet, but if the MLB is going to experiment and try different things, don't pick and choose your battles where you're at right now. Either dip your whole body in the water, not just a toe, because you know we're heading into a new CBA. This is the time to figure stuff out. Yeah, the CBA concerns me, and I, I don't want to be negative here, but I'm going into opening day just a few days ago, and I'm thinking to myself, will we be here next year? 12 months from now, I'm really hoping so. I hope we're not going to go into this downward spiral of negotiating tactics and delays and nobody's on the same page. The extra inning rule, it caught me off guard. First of all, I didn't understand why this was implemented for 162. If there's no universal DH, it's like you say, you got to go 100% or zero. You got to it- right? It- exactly. You can't just sit and pick and be like, oh, you know, we're going to try and reinvent this part of the game and then something as simple as the universal dh which listen i love watching pitchers hit but i'm in the minority a hundred percent a majority a majority of baseball fans want the universal dh that's what it needs to be you know what i mean that's where the game is heading for a lot of people including the players why are you sitting here over you know just to kind of go back and forth over these negotiations you know one side doesn't want to give it up over the other Isn't the main purpose of this to push the sport forward so people care about the sport, so people continue to tune into the sport, so young people care about the sport? That's what it's about. But again and again under Rob Manfred, and it's really been an issue even before his time, it's more about kind of sticking it to players at certain points or kind of winning negotiations and saving face. I think we just made history. I got to be honest with you. This might be the only baseball podcast and show in the world where both hosts like seeing pitchers hit, I got to tell you. Uh, we are in the minority. People don't like us for that. I don't you – know, listen, you're a lot more respectful than me because you, <laughs> you made a good point, though, and it, it gets me thinking. If the majority of people want this, okay, that's what it should be. Let's see the extra inning rule. If the majority of people want a runner on second base, I mean, I can't see it being overwhelming. But if that's the case, here's my concern. Over a, a schedule of 162 games – you know, we're going to get into June. You're going to see teams losing games because of this. And I think it's going to tick a lot of people off. I don't think this is a overwhelming rule that people say, let's bring in. I, I don't know. I don't know. Universal DH, that's a whole other thing. I can see that. be. It's going to happen. But a runner on second base, do you really see this happening forever? I think there's a very real chance, just simply for the fact that baseball can't afford for the game to continue to get longer. And we're talking about something, you know, a majority of games don't go into extra innings. I just think it needs to be adjusted. I don't think you should see a runner on second until something like the 12th inning, you know, or, you know, at that point, give it some breathing room. You should get, you know, a little bit time of, you know, regular baseball before you start getting drastic. Because I think anybody, you know, you get to the 12th inning, everyone's at the point where it's like, all right, you know, let's wrap this thing up a little bit here, right? Um, But I, I agree, those early innings, especially right after you get through the first nine, that should be typical baseball. That shouldn't be when weird things come in. Once you get to the point where, you know, you get to a 12 inning game, you're guaranteed four, four and a half hours. I think there you can bring it in. But um, I I do think at that point, that early in extra innings, it kind of does jeopardize the game in the first nine innings a little bit. And you know what? When you're in the 10th inning, you're not necessarily running into issues of pitching in your bullpen. Once you get to the 12th, it gets dicey. And And you're trying to save arms at that point. You know, nobody wants to see a bullpen destroyed, especially in a 162-game season. And I think it's an even bigger deal this year where it makes sense because so many guys are going to have new pitching limits after a year of such limited throwing. You know, I think that's why it makes a lot of sense in a year like this. Um, 
but you know, like we said, you know, you have to dip your whole body into the water here. You can't just dip your toes in. And once again, baseball, it always feels like they take one step forward and it's two back. And I feel like this is just another example of that. Sometimes it's just the way it is. Let's go Shohei Otani here. I got to tell you, watching a, a healthy Shohei Otani, isn't that the primary storyline of this season in Major League Baseball? For me, it is following his progress, healthy as a pitcher and as a hitter. To me, this is what I'm watching the most, maybe. A hundred percent. And I'm looking at Shohei Otani and I'm like, wow, if you're looking for someone who can get baseball back on the map to make people who don't care a damn about baseball be like, I need to watch this guy. Just like people want to watch a LeBron, you know what I mean? Or they want to watch a Patrick Mahomes. You got, you know, the modern version of Babe Ruth here. And I'm telling you, Babe Ruth wasn't pumping a hundred and hitting balls out, you know, 110 exit velocity. Um, I, you know, I'm, Fingers crossed. And I tweeted this out last night. I pray and I pray that this guy can stay healthy. And we saw even at the end of last night, he gets cleated right at home plate. Everybody holds their breath immediately. It's like, oh, it was a good run. You know, we had so much fun once again with this thing. Um, but, you know, angels say he's okay. He was taken out simply just, you know, he kind of ran out of gas at that point for those who watched. But I don't think there's a more interesting player in the sport right now. No. And you know what? There's a buzz about last night. I want to say – Great job on everyone involved to choose White Sox Angels as the first edition of Sunday Night Baseball this year. It was a great game, and there was a buzz around it, and it was because of Shohei Otani. He was the headliner of the game. We need more of that. We do need a lot more of that. Um, did not pitch, really, in 2019. In 2020, he made two starts. 2018, um, made about 10 starts there. So last night was his 13th career start. His, his stuff's electric. His stuff really is electric. Some control issues, but we're kind of looking past that because when you have a guy who's throwing six different pitches and all of them are pretty electric in their own right, that tells you something. A thousand percent. And just from the fact of you're slowly starting to see the emotion come out from him. You know, I felt like he was very reserved when he first came over and he was adjusting to, you know, Major League Baseball and, you know, being a part of the Angels. Last night you saw him, whether it was the home Ron, there was a little swag there, you know, after uh, he had knocked it and the sound off the bat was ridiculous. But even on the mound, you know, after a big strikeout, you know, walking off the mound pumped up, you know, that's the stuff that brings people in and makes people care. And with Otani, it doesn't have to be all or nothing here, right? You know, we're not talking he needs to go out there and be a six, seven inning guy every time. But if you're telling me he can give you five innings, of, you know, one or two run baseball, be electric out there pumping 100 and, you know, still hitting that same day, being in a lineup the majority of days when he's not pitching, it's going to break and change baseball forever in a positive way. Um, and we've seen, you know, some of the, you know, two-way players that have kind of worked through it and tried in recent years. Um, you know, Michael Lorenzen has tried to become one of those guys, hasn't exactly gone the way he has hoped. Um, but if Shohei Otani can start to grow that way, it won't be long before he sets an example for, you know, the next generation, these guys coming up. And there are some like a Brendan McKay with the Rays who yep. tried and, you know, it just, it, it didn't really work. Hunter Green when he first entered the Reds organization. Um, but I think Shohei Otani has a chance to change baseball forever. And if he can even somewhat be successful at this, people are going to try to do it. Jared Walsh, another one more, you know, Angels said, no, we really like you at first base. That's where you're playing. I thought Joe Madden was real interesting when Matt Vasquez and Alex Rodriguez, they had him during the game for an interview. 
And it was a ground out that Otani ran himself into. But Madden said if he wasn't pitching today, he might run that out, right? Um, he is quick, and he can run out. He can get infield hits as well. This tells you about this guy. He does everything. Um, he's not your typical pitcher where they're going to just jog it out to first base. If he wasn't starting yesterday, he may have ran that out, and that would have been even more impressive. I think he would have beat it out. You know, it, it, like you're just watching it, and it, you know, it was close. And I'm happy, though. Listen, I'm all for guys going 100% all the time, but when you're someone with Shohei Otani's injury history, he's on the mound, play it slow. It's 162 games here. You know, we don't need to be busting it down the line when you need to be out there throwing in a couple minutes. Um, but, you know, he's the kind of guy you could see even he wanted to run as hard as he could down the line there. Um, and I think that's the kind of guy who he is. We've seen him, you know, get to third base on triples, and it's lightning speed, you know, and he's not a small, like, speedy guy, like – Tall, you know, not super lanky, pretty well built at this point, but he's just a true athlete. Um, and I think that's something baseball hasn't had a lot of until recent years. And I think he kind of fits right into this generation of, you know, there's just so many freak athletes that you never thought you'd see playing baseball. Yep. And it's good for the game. That's all we care about, really, at the end of the day. I like Otani down in Southern California for that storyline. That's all across baseball. AL, NL, forget about it. I'm watching Shohei Otani. Storylines for you? Uh, big ones right now, at least early in the season. Uh, one I'm kind of looking at, at least, is the Yerman Mercedes uh, kind of situation going on that everyone's talking about. And while I don't think this is going to be something that continues throughout the year, let's be realistic here, I think it's so great to see a journeyman kind of player come up, you know, start, what, eight for eight like he did, um, and just, you know, shooting the ball all over. He's posting his lineup card with Tony La Russa, you know what I mean? You know, he's become a little bit of a meme, and everybody's kind of posting about it. Um, I think those little weird storylines fit baseball so well. Um, so, you know, I think that's been one of the best early season storyline story so far that people can kind of cling to and talk about. He's an incredible story. Incredible. Um, I applaud the people that have looked into it and really dug into where this guy came from. He's 28 years of age now. True incredible. journeyman. True journeyman. And um, they like him in spring training. And you talk to White Sox fans, they say, hey, he was kind of on our radar. I'm talking fans, not management. They said, yeah, we noticed him. The guy can hit. Uh, he's a stud. I believe he plays catcher. That's his he, Yeah, he, and you, we've seen it. He can kind of mix it up in all these different spots, and I think that's the big thing to get excited about here because the White Sox, unfortunately, with the injury of Eloy Jimenez going down and everything like that, there's going to be some mix and matching they need to do here. You know, he's not the most athletic guy. You know, you look at him. Um, he has kind of those similarities to Kirk uh, in terms of the body type and different stuff like that. Um, but I think that's what makes it fun. He feels like baseball, you know? And I, I think that's something people can really kind of get around and get excited about, um, especially for a White Sox team that, you know, they're kind of, you know, how people see them is very across the board. Some people see them, you know, kind of coming back down to earth and being closer to 500. And then some people say, hey, they're going to take that AL Central, and this is the first year of many. Well, I think it's a two-horse race. I think it's them and the Twins, and it's more of a Dodgers-Padres kind of thing, but to a lesser extent. Yeah, and it's going to be like that. White Sox, Twins. I like the White Sox. I'm all, I'm all on the White Sox this year, but I'm also on the Twins. I think those are two playoff teams. One's Agreed. One's and, I, and I think they'll, they'll kind of work each other out as the season goes along. I think I look at the Twins a little bit, and there's a little bit more experience depth there. You know, I like their bullpen a little bit 
you know, I, I like their bullpen. While the White Sox bullpen is a little stronger overall, the rotation for the White Sox after those first three starters, it makes me a little nervous. You know, a lot of unproven uh, kind of components there. But I think the Twins aren't in that much different of a situation. I'm just expecting a huge breakout from Jose Barrios. And I think we saw him and Corbin Burns dealing the other day, you know, dueling no hitters. Wow. Oh, wow. You know, and you look at that Minnesota Twins lineup. There's not too many in baseball that are as well-rounded as they are. They lose Josh Donaldson, they don't miss a beat. And while, you know, I hope Josh Donaldson can finally get some of these injuries right, he doesn't need to be healthy for, for a full 162 for all these things to work out. It's unfortunate with uh, Donaldson there after one at-bat and he's injured. Yeah. Um, that's a tough one for him and the Twins. I got my eyes on the Mets, and here's where I'm going with this, because they signed Lindor to a big deal. Um, it surpasses Tatis in money. Okay, that's what we're talking about for some context here. The Mets I got my eyes on. We don't need to talk about the Mets. We all know about the Mets and the offseason and a tough division. Tough division there, and you're going to see the Nationals open tomorrow. The Mets open tonight against the Phillies. Here's the thing. You see Lindor get that kind of money. I'm now looking at the other shortstop, um, shortstops across baseball. A lot of them, the top ones, they're free agents this winter. Um, I got my eyes on all these guys. Can they surpass this kind of money? Can Corey Seager do it? Can Trevor Story do it? Can Javi Baez do it? Probably not. Can Carlos Correa do it? Probably not. But Seager and Story in particular. Seager in LA here. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how they're going to work out the money in terms of a budget, but what's going on with Seager? Um, can he become the highest paid shortstop in baseball? I 100% think he can. And you look at him, listen, whether it was last year, the World Series run where he was, you know, the Dodgers' best hitter through and throughout, clutch hit after clutch hit, just blasting. You know, you look at it, it was a year in a vacuum. No one wants to get too excited, especially a guy who's had some injury concerns. But then he shows up to spring training and says, you know what? I'm going to lead spring training in home runs real quick. Not a problem, just blast after blast after blast. And, I, you know, you're looking at him. He's becoming one of the very best hitters in all of baseball. And while he doesn't have the defensive strengths of a Francisco Lindor or a Trevor Story, you know, he's, he's fine there. He gets the job done. Um, I, I think I, I have him pegged. I think he'll be the Dodgers' best hitter this year. I think he's going to be an MVP candidate without a doubt. Um, and I, I think Corey Seager, if you're looking out of that group, It'll be interesting to see how people view him long-term in terms of fitting at shortstop. That's where my kind of questions come in. Because you look at Trevor Story, and if you're looking for the all-around package, he's the best all-around package in the game at shortstop. Yep. And the thing about Seager is the health, the injuries. If he's healthy, you know, his war is going to be five, six, I believe, um, every year. Book it. But it's the injuries, right? And um, here's where I want to go with this. Before we go to some award predictions, but – um, who'd you rather have? You're building a team right now, Bellinger or Seager? Wow. Um, uh, all right, so let's, let, let's look at this. How are we looking at the contract situations? Are we talking a single year here, or are we saying, you know, these guys both have five-year deals and we're just going to play it forward? Let's say they both have five-year deals and we're going to play it forward, and the money is relatively similar. I'd bet on Cody Bellinger at that point. Um, simply for the fact Bellinger hasn't had the same health concerns as a Corey Seager. Uh, we've seen Cody Bellinger, the versatility he brings, um, you know, 
we've seen him, you know, first base, center field. Boy, last year, what he was doing in center field was ridiculous. You know, robbing home runs and going back and forth. And this was with a bad shoulder. You, you know what I mean? After we all saw the little dislocation situation he had. Um, and he still didn't miss a beat. And while Cody Bellinger, in terms of the regular season stats from year to year, has been a little up and down, it kind of resembles Mookie Betts to me in some ways of, you know, some of the early parts of his career. But I think Cody Bellinger is going to turn into one of the elite players in this game. He's still so young and people don't realize that. Um, I just think that overall package might bring a little bit more. But if you're talking just hitting, Cody Bell or Corey Seager is going to mash and mash and mash consistently for years to come. It's that defensive value. I think that's kind of the difference here. And center field too, okay? We're not talking about a corner outfield position. Center field, that's valuable. And for me, there's the difference right there. 100%. And like, realistically, I think Corey Seager has a little bit of that at Xander Bogarts to him, where let's be real, the second half of his career, he's probably going to be playing, you know, third base or a left field or maybe a second base, you know? Um, I can't see him being at shortstop, you know, for the, you know, foreseeable future, you know, long, long term. Cody Bellinger, you could put him in center field for the next 10 years, and I don't think you think twice about it. Exactly. And then a guy like George Springer, for example, it's like, well, you can probably see him going to the corner maybe next year, even 2022 or 2023. You can't say that for Cody Bellinger at all. Exactly, exactly. Um, I like Bregman early on here, and I think Bregman's going to separate himself. You know, Trout, there's no way I'm going to eliminate Mike Trout, but Bregman early on, um, I think if you were to bet on an MVP, I think he's going to be the odds-on favorite. I like Alex Bregman a lot, and he's gone off to a hot start, you know, two bombs, you know, like, and the A's, man. The Astros beat the crap out of them to open the year. Um, you know, it was really tough. But I, I like Alex Bregman. I still think somehow he's one of the most underrated players in baseball. Um, you know, we've seen what he's done, you know, the last couple of years within itself. And he's dealt with some nagging injuries here and, that, here and there that do make me worry a little bit. But in terms of what he brings at the plate, there's very few hitters that can do that. And, you know, he may not be Nolan Arenado or Matt Chapman at third base, but, you know, he's still above average and one of the better third basemen in baseball. So I, I don't think that's a bad pick at all. Um, you mentioned Mike Trout there. Listen, I'm putting my chips all in on Mike Trout this year. Hearing all these people slander Mike Trout's name, uh, oh, my, it's bothered me so much. People don't realize how great Mike Trout is, and it's because, you know, he doesn't have the postseason success. He's not outspoken or, you know, while he is the face of the game, in terms of a popularity aspect, he's not whatsoever. But what he's done at the plate from a year-to-year -year basis just outpaces anybody. But And we're not talking, you know, a step or two. You know, we're talking – you know, Alex Rodriguez, we're talking, you know, there's no one in the league who's even touching his bat. I think we see him get back to that this year. And he says he kind of found what was bothering him last year when, oh, wait, hold for it. He still finished fourth in the MLB in OPS, okay? So let, let's not act like it was a down year either. Yeah, it was a down year. His OPS was pushing 1,000. That's not a down year. I'm sorry for Mike Trout. Listen, that's a down Hell no. year. Maybe. No way. Um, let me throw this at you. If Shohei Otani's healthy, 162 games, how can he not be in an MVP conversation and potentially a top five in voting, a guy that can potentially be a dark horse to win the whole thing? I 100% agree with you. It's just that 162 games, we haven't even seen him come close to matching really half of that. And, and I think that's just a huge thing to keep in mind. And I think the Angels are going to be so conservative. He's coming off a year, you know, 
Last year, we saw them just say, you know, we're not going to try and have him pitch anymore, at least for that year, because the control was still off. He didn't have the right time to kind of ramp up and put it together. So I think we're going to see a pretty hard cap on him pitching throughout the year. But at the plate, he's still going to be one of the better hitters in all of baseball. My guess is the Angels just end up holding him back, and they're kind of a little careful with him as the year goes along. In the NL, I think it's Juan Soto's to lose. And I know that's going to be a bold, bold pick. But for me, if he doesn't win it, then it means that someone has really raked out of their minds. Um, or Jacob deGrom is going to do Clayton Kershaw stuff and win MVP. It's one of the two. I, I like both of those a lot. And um, I think the Juan Soto stuff, we're talking about a guy who – I know people throw this around and call him, you know, Ted Williams, you know, is this the next reincarnation? It's that comp isn't crazy. And it really is that the stuff he did last year in it, it's so frustrating that he lost that early part of the season to that false negative or a false positive he had with COVID testing and everything like that. Cause if he had got to play the full season and fully qualified, I, I don't think anybody could have said anything. He was pulling a Mike Trout in terms of just, almost lapping the league with how well he hit the ball. And we know Juan Soto defensively, he doesn't have, you know, he's a little below average out there, right? You know, we can all see it. But I think Juan Soto has a great, uh, you know, chance to be in that position. Eileen, I think Francisco Lindor, you know, I'm so high on the Mets. And if he's right in the middle of it right there, you know, I think there's a great chance that he kind of just runs away and he becomes, you know, say they win the NL East, you know, kind of the leading pack there. But I'd flip it and tell you, I see Corey Seager having the same opportunity with the Dodgers, especially for a team that has a chance to set history for, you know, maybe the most wins ever in a baseball season. The Mets are going to have to win that division for Lindor to really be in the mix because I look at a guy like Yelich, and I know in 2020 it was a write-off, but I don't like how many guys are being ridden off, and Yelich is one of them. 2018 MVP, 2019 maybe should have won MVP. I'm not going to start a debate over it, but he was really good in 2019. And in 2021, full season, Milwaukee, good team. That team can win the division. Good pitching. Um, look, Yelich with the Brewers. Um, I like him maybe over Lindor and Seager here. Hey, if you're ESPN heading into last year, they, uh, what, they rate Christian Yellick the number one player in all of baseball. Uh, obviously, you know, it didn't look too great after 60 games, but I'm right there with you. I, I still think Christian Yellick's one of the best players in all of baseball. I'm fully expecting a bounce back year. I do have slight concerns because I think the knee surgery he ended up having, uh, you know, kind of flew under the radar for how big of a deal it was. Now, I think he's going to be healthy. I just wonder if we're ever going to see the all-around Christian Yellick we once saw. I still think he's going to slug and do his thing like he did. But, you know, the former guy who was, you know, 20 bags, great defense in the outfield, I think we might be a little bit beyond that at this point. And that's no slander to him. He's still going to be a great player. But I think you might see some of that value kind of fall apart in that sense right there. And, you know, since we're in the NL Central right now, I'm going to mention Nolan Arenado. You know, I, while Nolan Arenado doesn't have the offensive numbers, you know, those top-tier numbers, I think if you see the Cardinals surge and, you know, he continues to be great defensively and we get, you know, somewhat of a year of Nolan Arenado that's around, you know, 325 to 30 home runs with, you know, some of the best defense in baseball, I don't think he'll win the MVP, but I think he'll be in the conversation. In the conversation, absolutely. He'll get votes. Exactly. He'll get votes. And there's always those guys. They get votes and their names. And Arenado still, I mean, best third baseman in baseball right there on the Cardinals. Kind of like the Brewers. Pretty good team. That division's pretty weak, though. Um, yeah, you know, if Yelich, Yelich isn't the same player he was in Miami in terms of style of play and what kind of outfielder he is, he's kind of a different player. And, and it might benefit him 
in terms of an MVP conversation, I think. And that's why in 2018, that's what you saw, what he did. Exactly. And I still think there was those signs of, you know, the athleticism, the different parts of the game, he could still filter in. I just think similar to Mike Trout in some ways where we've seen in recent years where the stolen base numbers have come down, the defense has regressed yeah. a little bit. I think Yelich is in a similar spot to that. But like you said, I, I, at the end of the day, you know, if you're at the plate and you're lapping people like Mike Trout has, like a Juan Soto, you're going to be in that conversation year in and year out. So I think in the AL, let's go back to the AL here. And I think the Orioles have some players who are underrated. I know you probably don't want to talk about the Orioles. No, you're you're hurting my feelings right now. You you really, this hurts. The Red Sox start 0-3 at Fenway Park just for the second time in their long and great history. But Ryan Mountcastle, to me, this is a guy who I'm putting right in the rookie of year conversation in the AL. I'm big on this guy. I think he's bad. He's right in the middle of the order there in Baltimore. Um, he's batting in the middle of Mancini and Santander. I'm really liking that whole dynamic of the Orioles and Ryan Mountcastle. Like them last year, like them going into this year for me. Rookie of the year in the AL, a Rosa Reina is going to be the popular pick. He's still eligible as a rookie. I like Ryan Mountcastle. I like Ryan Mountcastle. There are some concerns. You know, I think if you dive into the batted ball data last year, there was a lot of luck. You know, it was a very high BABIP. And uh, I think if you look, throughout Ryan Mountcastle's history, the OBP numbers have never been super high. You know, he, he's not a guy who draws a ton of walks traditionally. Um, and he swings the bat well. You know, you're talking about a guy who's going to probably hit 285, 290 on a year-to-year basis. I think he's a really good pick. Um, I like him. I just think the ceiling's, the ceiling's going to come down on him a little bit. You know, he's not going to be as productive as a hitter overall when you're talking in terms of OPS and different stuff like that, that OBP is going to hold them back a little bit. But I think you're looking at a guy, you know, 280, 25 home runs. Um, you know, it's not a premier defensive profile. I think we all know that. Um, but, you know, a young bat, another middle of the lineup bat, the Orioles badly need as they kind of piece together this rebuild. Sign me up. 285, 25 home runs. Sign me up all day. At that point, as a first baseman, I'm kind of throwing – on base, out the window a little bit. I'm looking at the average. I'm going, that's good enough for me. I know average isn't the greatest and, and tool that we use right now. 285, those power numbers, he's probably going to slug pretty well as well. Sign me up as a first baseman. Yeah. The only thing that makes me a little bit nervous at first base is we've seen a guy like CJ Crone the past couple of years who really, you know, he's kind of, you can peg him for like 260 and, you know, 25 to 30 home runs. He's a free agent every single year. Um, you know, he's not getting a lot of money on these deals. I think that's something just to be a little cautious about, about how the rest of the industry looks at it. But if you're talking about an Orioles team who's going to have him on cheap money, who's going to, you know, you can peg him in to be a really solid above average first baseman, that has plenty of value in baseball. I just don't know in the grand scheme of things how much that will put him in terms of, you know, industry-wide, like, respect. I, I think he'll be seen as, you know, an above average solid player. I think C.J. Crone, by the way, I think he's going to have a good year. Yankees. I'm right there with it. Yeah, Luke Voigt's out. I think the Yankees probably could have used C.J. Crow. now that he think about it in hindsight. Not uh, a big Jay Bruce guy? Uh, I, I, like Bruce. <laughs> I like Jay Bruce, but he's not really a first baseman. I mean, no. now all of a sudden he's learning this position on the fly. He's a veteran guy. You know, I kind of like my veterans to be like Brett Gardner, steady Freddie in the outfield. And uh, you don't have to make, you know, a defensive switch late in every single game because you're worried he's going to botch a play at first base. That's just the one position where you need some dependability. Exactly. And he does strike out. Um, and late in the game, it's going to drive Yankees fans nuts. In the NL, for me, there's a guy to lose this Rookie of the Year award. 
Um, similar to what I said about Juan Soto of the MVP, but Cabrian Hayes in Pittsburgh, I think it's his to lose. Rookie of the year. Dylan Carlson, St. Louis. This is the guy I think he's going to be right on his tail. But I would still be shocked if Cabrian Hayes does not win this award. He might be the Pirates MVP this year. Okay? Forget about a rookie. He might be the guy in Pittsburgh. Yeah, we saw Cabrian or K. Brian Hayes just start the year off home running his first at bat. You're like, boom, this is as easy as it gets, right? Like, you know, he's already proven me right. But we saw he comes out with a, you know, a wrist injury, and now there's some concern over that. That would scare me a little bit because the Pirates have no reason to push him this year to, you know, kind of force things. And if you're looking at it from a war standpoint, he should have won Rookie of the Year last year. It's just the truth to it. And Devin Williams was amazing. You know, watching what he did, you know, that changeup is not even – one of the most lethal pitchers I've ever seen in all of baseball. Um, but yeah, I, I think he, he fits right in that mold, especially if he can get, if he can stay healthy and get run. Ian Anderson with the Braves, I think is another name that's not getting talked about enough. Um, looked really good yesterday. Um, and we saw just during the World Series or, you know, not World Series, but their playoff run last year, you know, sorry, Braves fans, you know, one game short. He, he was so impressive in those games. Never looked overmatched in the moment. I think you're going to see a really good, solid starting season from him. Um, and while there may be some ups and downs as the year go along with any young pitching prospect, I think his name's going to be right at the top there. And I think the Braves have, you know, at least a number two or a potential ace for the next, you know, five, 10 years. I'm with you on Ian Anderson. I think he's a bit of an under the radar arm for Atlanta this year and I think their pitching is a lot better than people think uh, he's a big part of that yeah and you, you know what's not getting talked about Mike Soroka yeah how is this guy already almost back he tore his Achilles and he's this close insanity we might see him in late April mid-April maybe we were talking about a couple weeks ago oh see in September Maybe in the postseason, if the Braves are fortunate enough to get there, we'll see him then. No, no, no. We're seeing him in a couple of weeks. A good point. Can't believe Soroka's about to come back. I've never seen such a quick recovery. And we've seen things like, uh, I think everyone remembers Marcus Stroman's ACL. And he had come back, you know, it was what, like, I don't even remember. But it was, you know, well under a year. Um, Soroka coming back from this, when that injury happened, everyone was like, all right, well, we'll see you in 22. Like, the, or 2022, that sucks. You know, it looked like, you know, 2021 was setting up to be a really big year for the Braves as a whole. And the fact that he's coming back, you know, I don't want to get too excited. You know, I'm very nervous that he may not be what he was or it may take a little bit for him to get it back underneath his belt. Because you can see even the Braves are like, please slow down. Like, you know, we're, let's not push the pace here. We don't have to. But he he's every obstacle that's come so far. He's jumped 10 feet over it and it hasn't been a problem. So. Hey, the Braves, they got another really, you know, solid mid-rotation arm there. I like their pitch, and I like their pitch, and Charlie Morton, I, li I like what they're doing there. Um, there's no need to push the pace that quickly. You make a good point. Cabrian Hayes in Pittsburgh, no, especially them. They're in a situation, do not push the pace. This kid's a stud. I'm intrigued by comeback player of the years in each league here. Cy Youngs, we know, okay? Uh, I'll give a shout-out to a couple guys here. We know about the Coles and the Groms and the Beavers um, and whoever else you want to name in all of baseball. I think Ryu is just becoming incredibly underrated here. This is wild to me as the years go by. Now he's got a, a proven track record of a real reliable arm. Um, I think, you know, he finished, what, second or third in Cy Young voting last year. I like him in top five AL this year. 
I guess. I do too. And the Blue Jays need him to be that if they hope to kind of be in that conversation as the year goes along. Um, We know towards the end of that rotation, whether part of it's some bad luck, you know, Robbie Ross, like falling down the stairs, man, like that, that, come on, that's the most spring training or spring training story you're ever going to hear. But you know, what doesn't get talked about with the Blue Jays enough is some of those arms getting real close to the bigs um, that have the potential not only to be mainstays in the rotation, um, but to help in the bullpen, you know, if they need it as the year goes along, we saw, losing Kirby Yates to Tommy John surgery recently. A lot of people had that as a massive blow, but I think they'll be able to make up some of that ground there. Um, I I really like Ryu. I I think he's going to continue to be there. I think another guy people don't get talked about that's following a similar path as Kentai Maeda. Um, We saw just how nasty he was throughout the course of last season too. Um, But yeah, for, you know, we all know the typical Cy Young candidates in each league, you know, the Garrett Coles, the Jacob DeGroms, like you said. Um, I, I'd kind of keep a lot of it in that area. I think you'll see uh, Casey Mize with the Tigers. I think he's going to take a big step forward this year. Um, and how have we not mentioned Shane Bieber? Kind of disrespectful, right? After everything he did last year, too. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of these different names are going to kind of rise and we'll have the surprises like we do every single year, too. Could see a little Giolito in there with the White Sox. They'll need him as well. Um, if they're going to go up neck and neck at the Twins, the pitching's got to be dynamite if Maeda's going to continue doing what he's doing in Minnesota. Comeback player of the year. You know, with Alex Smith in the NFL this past year, it was like a lock. Okay, if he plays a couple snaps, this guy's won. Comeback player of the year. I'm looking at the same thing in a way with Mancini in Baltimore. If this guy, you know what, he doesn't have to go full to his productivity, but if he's just a little bit like he is, a little bit, He's winning that award. A, th- a thousand percent. And that his journey in the past year, I can't even imagine all the different stuff he's been through. Um, you know, I'm someone, you know, I've had a lot of cancer in my family. A lot of people have, right? Like a lot of us can have a connection to that and understand it. And for him, you know, to go from having stage three colon cancer, you know, such a dark prognosis in a time where the world was so like sad and things were so bad and you know he's already back he's made it for opening day he had a big hit on opening day uh we saw the moment him hugging christian vasquez at the plate uh xander bogarts at first base those clips that went viral like you said he doesn't have to be the normal trey mancini hitting 35 home runs a year but um he looks healthy to me i think he's gonna have a really good year anyways um i I think he's as good of a lock as you're gonna find i think he is gonna have a good year too i'm expecting him to um obviously he's so strong um, not just on the field, right? Very strong guy, and uh, I think we're all rooting for him. We really are. I like Trey Mancini. I always have, and to see him come and, and come back from this, it's just remarkable. Good for him. Good for him. Um, other guys in the AL. Now, again, for me, Mancini's a lock. Absolutely. I, you know, Mitch Haniger, <laughs> um, Yoan Moncada dealt with, you know, health concerns last year. Um, and then Corey Kluber, who pitched, what, an inning in Texas last year, and now he's in the pinstripes. Kluber um, had some issues on Saturday. Not too bad. I thought he pitched pretty well. Um, you know, he, his breaking stuff is looking vintage Kluber, by the way. Oh, that's very painting it. Painting. He, he was painting the corner. It was ridiculous. Um, another guy throwing that, Eduardo Rodriguez. And we know he missed the first turn in the rotation. 
All accordingly, from what Alex Cora said, he looks like he's going to start the second time around. I think the confirmation they said will come today, depending on how everything went with his last bullpen. Um, but, you know, coming off myocarditis, he shined in spring training. He looked as good as I've ever seen him from a velo standpoint, from a control standpoint. And we know, you know, outside of that, he's had injury concerns over the years. But he's another guy. If he can, you know... It, Trey Mancini, obviously coming from something crazy, but you know Eduardo Rodriguez will be right in that conversation too. I bet by the end of the year, it's fantastic how many guys are in this conversation. It really is amazing. It really adds to the storylines as well. We probably could have thrown in a couple of these guys in those. NL, I like Mad Bum. I like Mad Bum, comeback player of the year. He's really got to prove something here because I bet you there's talk in Arizona right now about why did we give all this money to this guy? He was clearly regressing. Why did we do this? And I think he's got to prove them wrong. He has to. He knows it. Yeah, I hope you're right. I don't think we're ever going to see, you know, vintage Madison Bumgarner again. You know, and, you know, expecting that from a pitcher at his age is pretty ridiculous. Um, but the Diamondbacks are a franchise where if you wanted to get a guy like Madison Bumgarner, who, you know, could go chase rings if he wanted to and get even more to his collection, he's the greatest postseason pitcher of all time. Um, you know, he could have done that. But they paid him and they said, here, take the check, what you want, go for it. You know, you can go do your right or your rodeo stuff and have all the fun in the world. Um, I like Matty Bum. I'm a little nervous still, you know, long term. I, I don't know if he's going to be, you know, that top tier talent. But another guy throwing that uh, conversation and his former battery mate, uh, Buster Posey, who yeah. two home runs to start the year. He looks great. You know, didn't play last year, opted out. Um, but we all know Buster Posey's kind of been on a downward slide. If he has a career year and he kind of looks like the Buster Posey of old, I think he's another guy you could see in that conversation too. You know who I also like, and I'm not throwing him into any comeback player of the year conversation necessarily, but also San Francisco giant Evan Longoria, who is raking against lefties. And it's not really a platoon situation because Gabe Kapler, he's the third baseman. He's the guy every day. Um, he, this guy, I'm telling you, Evan Longoria, our former buddy from the AL East, it's looking like he can do some damage, especially against lefties. But I like him as an under-the-radar veteran guy. Um, I wanted to talk about the Giants. I think we'll do that next week about the San Francisco Giants because they're going to have a lot of money to spend this coming winter. I think their payroll is only about $30 million set for next year. They got a lot of money coming off the books in a loaded free agent class. And the Giants, who were kind of in somewhat on Trevor Bauer and, and some of the high-tier guys, I think going into 2022, they're going to be in on almost all of them. 100%. And they've been looking to spend – they've wanted to land that guy. You remember even with the Bryce Harper stuff. They were kind of in that conversation, you know, similar to how they were before where they couldn't exactly close it down and get the deal done. But they're like, I'm willing to get creative and see what happens. You know what I mean? Um yeah, I think they're on the verge of making that jump. We saw Mike Yastrzemski, his emergence in recent years has been ridiculous within itself. Um, uh, they're an interesting team. While they may not have the high-tier talent, they were so close to making the playoffs last year. I think there's someone who will be interesting. Unfortunately, they just get beat down by, you know, the Padres and the Dodgers. Tough division, tough division. We've done a lot of NL West things here today. Final words for this week as we look ahead to the second week installment as we start on a Monday here on Easter Monday but tell you what uh, you're looking forward to this week uh listen from my perspective of being a Red Sox fan uh let's get a win on the board right um I, I think a week from now things are going to look a lot different for the Red Sox my mentions have been so bad 
probably for like two or three days now. I'm getting ripped apart. Um, definitely has been a little bit of a headache, but it's fun. You know, I, I like it. It's just hard when you're like, breathe. It's 162 games. I understand, you know, 0-3, you know, they haven't done this since 2012. Everyone remembers the Bobby Valentine year and as ugly as it gets, right? Um, but no one's pegging this Red Sox team to make the playoffs or win 95 games. I, I've never been there. I've, like I said, 84 to 86 wins. Th that's how I've kind of seen them. Um, the Orioles played great. I think anyone who watched those games, Cedric Mullins, like, dude, is swinging the bat as well as anybody in baseball right now. Like, who, who sees that coming? And you know what? When John Means goes out there on opening day and just throws a gem, I'm, that was as good as it gets for a and guy. You can, yeah. Yeah, and you can see what means. The velo he's added, while he's not, you know, throwing 96, 97, for a guy who was working super low 90s, sometimes high 80s, it makes a big difference when you have a changeup like he does. And the Red Sox, Evaldi and Tanner Howell were filthy, you know, both of the first two games. Garrett Richards, I've never been a big Garrett Richards guy, you know. He couldn't make the Padres playoff rotation when they had no arms left. You're telling me this year he's supposed to be, you know, vintage Angels Garrett Richards? I can't, it's hard for me to buy into that. Yeah, with Garrett Richards, it would have been one of those things. Maybe two years ago, I would have said, hey, comeback player of the year. No, you know, I, I think we've kind of seen it now with Richards. It's unfortunate. But John Means set the tone early, and the momentum carried over, and that's the series. It's a sweep. It happens. I'm with you on the Red Sox. I think the Red Sox are absolutely a lot better than people think. I'm not looking – I don't know what people are saying. If they're saying 70 wins, I think that's outrageous. Really and unfortunately, that's a, what a lot of people are pegging them, like, rate, you know, 72 to 75. And I'm like, you guys, like, this isn't – do you realize the floor on this team is significantly higher? If the pitching in Evaldi um, and Hope those first two days, if those are the positives, that lineup's going to hit. If, if you don't think they're going to score runs, you've got a problem. You know, that's the last thing you have to worry about here. I'll tell you this. This is going to be a fun summer. I'm going to get your Red Sox lowdown every week and I love that I love that there's no more fascinating team in baseball almost any year than the Boston Red Sox uh, especially when Bobby Valentine was the manager they were very <laughs> uh, I like Bobby I like Bobby um, a lot of respect but you know threatening to punch uh, guys on the radio worries me a little bit here and there <laughs> it was you know that season spiraled out of control and, and it, it went from September of 2011 into 2012, it was just a carryover of everything. I know Terry Francona was at the end there in 2011, but everything just carried over. That is the squeeze. Thank you very much. However, wherever you may be listening, watching on the Primetime Sports Talk Network, it's presented by them, YouTube page, and through the audio on your podcast, wherever you may get your podcast. You can find us anywhere. Just type up the squeeze, subscribe, rate, Comment, download, the squeeze presented by Primetime Sports Talk.